Welcome to Shouts of Grace Radio, hosted by Pastor Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace Radio, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, we're taking a break from our regular format to listen in on a Sunday sermon given by Pastor Steve at Redemption Hill Church. Now, get your Bible ready and follow along. You guys, this morning, closing um, in this closing chapter of Ruth, um, we're going to see the emphasis and the idea on redemption, this idea of redemption. And, and this word, you guys, is mentioned 12 times in 18 verses. So if it's mentioned 12 times in 18 verses, it's important, right? Redemption here is important. So it might help to kind of know what the word means. If I were to just say, describe for me what redemption is, a lot of people wouldn't know what it is. But it applies to this story. And listen, it applies to your story. Redemption applies to your life as well. So here's the definition before we start. The definition of redemption is super simple. The action of gaining or regaining the possession of something in exchange for payment or the clearing of a debt by payment. So redemption and payment are inseparable, right? That's the idea. Whatever redemption is, payment and redemption go together, right? I'm going to date myself. Back in the old days, I say the old days, but it is kind of the old days. When you used to go to the store, you used to buy bottles of Pepsi. They didn't have plastic bottles like they do today. Everything was bottled glass. And on the bottom, it would say redemption value 10 cents. So some of you guys remember that where you'd go, you'd buy a Coke for 60 cents. And then when you were done drinking it, the store would buy back your bottle, your empty bottle for 10 cents. And then you'd go get a couple of lollipops or whatever. So it was kind of a win total score, right? And so there'd be times where we'd go digging in people's trash so we could find all their bottles so we could bring it back and we'd have a buck and we could, you know, sugar ourselves up and rot our teeth out, right? It's the same idea in a pawn shop. If you go to a pawn shop and you sell something of yours and they give you money, then there's a redemption value for you to go back and to get it by a certain date, they're going to charge you this. And so, again, redemption has payment associated with it, you guys. So this has kind of been in the foreground for the last two chapters. However, you guys, as we mentioned last week, in the background, there's a great story of redemption being told. Ruth is a book of type, typology. It's talking about something much greater. You're the benefactor. I'm the benefactor. You see, in the story, Boaz is a type of Christ, and Ruth is a type of the Gentile bride. And oddly enough, you guys, check this out. This is a very Jewish book. It is saturated with Jewish laws and customs, and God is giving us a foreshadow of what would happen in the New Testament in Acts 10. So turn to Acts chapter 10, And I want to share this with you because this has everything to do with the book of Ruth as a foreshadowing of what takes place. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter is in this place called Joppa, and he's on a roof, and he's tired, and he starts to go to sleep, and he's in this trance. And as he's in this trance, there's this sheet that comes down from heaven, and it's got all kinds of creeping bugs and different things, and you you name it, it's on there. Everything a Jew couldn't eat. And then there's this voice that says, rise and eat. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? 
He's like, I've never eaten anything unclean. I've never eaten, eaten anything unkosher. So no, I'm not going to eat this. This is gross. And the voice says this, do not call unclean what I have called clean. The sheet vanishes, and simultaneously, there's a knock at the door downstairs. So Peter goes downstairs, and there's these men, these Gentile men that have come from this place called Caesarea from this man named Cornelius' house. And they say, hey, listen, are you Peter? Yeah, you got to come back with us. Well, what are you talking about? Our master Cornelius had had a dream. He needs you to come back. And so Peter goes back to Cornelius' house, and as he's in the house in Acts 10, that's not cool with him. Jews don't mix with Gentiles. This has never been the case. They're dirty dogs in their eyes. And so as they're sitting there, Peter starts to see, as he's looking at all these Gentiles that are starting to worship God, and Cornelius tells him, he says, I need to tell you something. Four days ago, when I was worshiping, an angel appeared to me right? And he told me to go get you because you had a message for us. And so Peter says this in Acts 10.34, an astounding verse that shocked every Jew of the time and is a, just an amplifier to our day and age. He said, so Peter opened his mouth in Acts 10.34, and he said, now I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now I understand God isn't against people is what he's saying. In fact, God accepts everybody from every background, from every nation, not just the Jewish nation, Peter's thinking, all of them, anybody who fears him is acceptable to him. And then he goes on and he shares the gospel to Cornelius' house. And in Acts 10.44, here's what it says. While Peter was still sharing these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This was a groundbreaking thing for Jews. They were not a part of the Gentile world and didn't accept them. And so as this goes on, the other apostles hear about it and they're not happy. What is Peter doing out there talking to the Gentiles and sharing with the Gentiles? The line between us is clear. We're of God and they're of, you know, all the other stuff thereof. And so Peter hears this and he goes up to Jerusalem and he shares, this, he shares his story with them in Acts 11. He says, man, I was on this roof, and the sheet came down, and God said, don't call unclean what I've called clean. It vanished, and I went over to this house, and these people started, started they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and God clearly accepted them. And in Acts 11:18, it says, the other apostles fell silent, glorified God, saying, then the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, you guys, Ruth, Ruth's redemption foreshadows this day in Acts 10. 
It was a precursor to it because she was a Moabite woman and that was a horrible culture. And the people that came out of Moab were like the people that came out of the worst parts of the world. They didn't know God. They worshiped everything and everyone but God. Their lifestyles were a complete opposite of Christianity or, or of the Jews of their days. So to say that a Moabite, in fact, scripture even says at one point that no Moabite was allowed into the temple or the house of God because of how much reprobates they were. Yet God accepts Ruth, pulls Ruth into the household of God as a precursor to the day that we would hear in Acts 10 that God shows no partiality. Everybody who fears him will be accepted, you guys. That's the story of Ruth's mother-in-law, Rahab, the Canaanite harlot, right? Same story, Boaz's mother. She was, a, she was a, not just a harlot, she was a Canaanite harlot. Now, I don't know what that is, but that sounds a lot worse than a harlot, right? She had, she had extra harlotry in her because they just did everything in Canaan. They were worse than the Moabites, right? They, they sacrificed weird ways. They burnt kids. They, they jacked people, and, 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 you know, when they killed them, they, they filleted them. They skinned them. I mean, they were wicked people. And here Rahab, a Canaanite harlot, is also brought in, and it shows that, you guys, God accepts and grants repentance to every person who fears him, and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. You know, it's hard for me sometimes to be around believers that think because a person's particular sin is a part of their life that God is angry at them, that God is mad at them, that somehow because you've chosen this certain sin or this certain lifestyle that God is now upset with you. And that God doesn't accept that. It's, it's almost as if, okay, God's written down the rules to live by. They're on a piece of paper. And, and because the rules are there, God looks at the rules and goes, now everybody needs to obey that. Why? Because I wrote it down. And so you look at our society today and you look at how the church is responding. You say something like same-sex marriage. Listen, God isn't against same-sex marriage, folks. He's against the sin that hurts the people. It's not, it's not, I wrote it down, so you got to listen to it. And that's the most important thing. God knows the devastation that the sin causes. So it's not that he's out picketing because of a certain lifestyle, it's the actual sin that God cares about that damages lives. That's what's important to him. Not, he's into the people that are practicing certain things. He doesn't hate the people. Never has he hated the people. Yet Christians act in such a way that it's reprehensible. Now, we still have to call what God calls sin, but you don't treat people different because they're engaged in a different sin than you, that you hold in the dark or that I hold in the dark. That isn't God's heart. But yet the church gets riled up. Oh, you know, oh my gosh, we can't, we can't have this. We can't, okay, listen, you have to have God's heart towards it. God's heart is a heart of love towards them. He doesn't accept it, but he loves them. He communes, communicates with them, you could say, through you and through me. I'm not afraid to sit down to somebody with somebody who has a different lifestyle than me, and I'm not going to insult them. I'm going to tell them the truth. 
I'm going to love them. I'm going to share with them what Scripture says is right and wrong for their own good. You don't go to a person who's, who's you know, in a young, you know, a young state of life and they're confused and, and they're going into a Planned Parenthood and you call them a murderer? Is it wrong? Okay, yes, it is wrong. But you don't insult the sinner. You try to win them with the heart of God. Because I'll tell you, in that situation, I know many people, there are two victims there. There's the one that, yes, has lost their life, and there's the one that has to live with it for the rest of their life. And they deserve the hand of Christ to reach out to them through the church and through believers, not to offer condemnation, but to say, look, if in any situation, a Moabite, a Canaanite, any part of life, if you will fear God, God will accept you, not reject you. We're not afraid to to call the sin, sin, but good gracious, the, 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 the sinner is the most important thing to God, the most important one to God. And he will engage with them. If they fear him, God will accept them. Which tells me this. There isn't one sin that you've ever done that is outside the forgiveness of God. Not one. But every sin must be repented of. Meaning every lifestyle, the first conclusion we have to come to is God is right. What he says is right. Now, by coming to that conclusion, I'm not hurting the person who's engaging in the sin. I'm not, I'm not rejecting them. I'm telling them, in order for God to forgive you, you've got to agree with him on this. He'll work with you. He'll pull you in. He'll love you. He'll do all of that stuff. But I cannot call good what God calls evil. I can't do that because that's not loving But Moabites, Canaanites, what? They're being brought in and invited in to the the household of Israel? That's unthinkable. It's a foreshadow of Acts 10 where God will accept all humanity, anyone who fears him. And listen, if you do, you will start to see life God's way. You will start to see the things that you thought were okay, the things that you were just adamant about picketing. And yes, you will start to see God transform the way you think. He'll change your heart. That's what God's doing here. He's showing you and I, this is what your future is. There's coming a day where I will accept every person from every nation if they fear me, God will grant them repentance. But listen, notice that's in the equation. He grants the Gentiles repentance. You can come as you are. You can come with all your stuff and all your sin and all your garbage, but you cannot stay as you are. God will grant repentance. I want you to see that. Repentance to turn around, to change your mind, to change your ways, to change your actions. God will grant that. It's a gift. So let's, take, let's look where we left off, Ruth chapter 4. Let's look at verse, we left off in verse 7, and we'll finish this up. Luke, uh, Ruth chapter 4, verse 7. 
Boaz just got done talking to this other redeemer. He said, I ain't going to buy her. I'm not going to buy the land. You can do it. And so now it's Boaz's right because he's next in line. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a, tran- to confirm a transaction, one, uh, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders who had gathered around and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi, bought the land, the hand of Naomi and all that belonged to Ahimelech, her husband, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, her two sons, Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, of Malon speaking of, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from amongst his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthy in Ephrah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez. See, Hispanics are in the Bible, you guys. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, and uh, may your house be like the house of Perez from, Ta- um, from whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age and your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi the name, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Boaz goes and he gathers 10 elders together and he brings them to the gate because he wants to make a legal transaction because the first in line to redeem Naomi and Ruth has bowed out. And so now it's his turn. And Boaz tells the elders, you guys, in verse nine, you guys are witnesses that on this day, He bought all that belonged to Naomi's family, and he bought the Gentile Ruth to be his wife. I want you to notice, on this day, you guys, redemption was secured at the moment that Boaz paid the necessary price. Redemption was secured in a moment. It wasn't over a time period. It wasn't, we'll start it now, we'll complete it in a year or three years. Redemption was secured at the moment the Redeemer paid the price. At that point, you guys, Ruth became his. I want you to listen to something in Ephesians 1.14. This is your life if you're a believer. Listen to this. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it. Some of your versions say until the redemption of the purchased possession. What is he saying? He's saying at some point you heard the truth. You heard the gospel. It was presented to you. It wasn't presented to you by a good life. People say, well, you know, um, you're the only Bible that people will read. So, you know, just let your light shine and just be good and people will see that. Okay, that's a great idea. At some point, you got to put words to it. You, you, you got to actually say, the reason I am the way that I am is because God has transformed my life and this God has put a new life inside of me and I want to tell you about him. At some point, the gospel, listen, isn't lived out, it's also shared with words. And so what he's saying here is when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, now it's not just about hearing. It's not just about responding. Well, I'm going to go to church because I heard it and that sounded kind of cool. Man, there's all kinds of people and they, they, they kind of got a cool life. And so, man, I feel good around them and they make me a better person. No. When you heard it and he says, and believed it, you have to believe it. Your wife cannot believe for you. Your husband can't believe for you. Your grandma can't believe for you. Your parents can't believe for you. You have an obligation to respond with belief to the gospel. You are in charge of your own relationship. Nobody else. Nobody else can secure that relationship with God. You can be brought up in it. You could hear it over and over. You could go to church. You could do all that stuff. You are accountable to God yourself. You have to believe. And when you believe, it says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The word sealed is, what would be like a modern, uh, I guess a modern context would be like, if you have a horse, you brand a horse. Right? You, the, the, the people that own the horse brand the horse. They mark them. They say, this horse is mine on a ranch. So if the, if, if the one strays, people could look at the brand and go, oh, yeah, that belongs to Yellowstone. <laughs> Some of you got that. <laughs> it's a branding. So when you believe, God brands you with the Holy Spirit. He gives you and seals you. What that means is your salvation is done. It's secured because you're his. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about, was I good enough this week? Did I lose my salvation this week? Did the Holy Spirit unbrand me and bail because I was so grieving to him? You're his. This is God's doing. But listen, it's not just that you're sealed. Then he says, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who's the guarantee, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until Christ gains possession of you. What that means is when you believe and God puts the Holy Spirit in you and you're sealed, he is guaranteeing you he is coming back. You guys, the word guarantee is where we get the term layaway from. You go and you don't, you know, have all the money, but you put a down payment on something, you know, two months, three months before Christmas. You know, you pay a little bit off, but at some point you're going to return to make that final payment, and then 
you're going to get the possession, right? But when you sign up for the layaway, you are guaranteeing you are going to purchase this. And at some point, you're going to get possession of it. When you believed in Christ, he gave you the Holy Spirit, and he, listen, was the guarantee that Christ is going to possess you fully. He's not going to leave you. He's going to come back. You are going to stand before him as a believer. You are going to stand before the reward seat. He's not leaving you. And the evidence of that, as he says, I'll put my spirit inside you as a seal to tell you I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope that you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. At ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ.